0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now joining me on the show today on what is a warm sunny morning here in the capital is Helen Jones. Um, Helen is the general manager of Grove Court, a 61 bed not-for-profit care home run by Elizabeth Finn Homes. Um, Helen, very warm welcome to yourself and thank you ever so much for joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you very much. It's very warm here in
0: Woodbridge too. <laughs> I, I can imagine. It seems like it's yeah. very warm all across the country yeah, every day for it. Um, yeah. I think a really good place to uh, to start today, not not to dampen the mood, of course, would be by addressing yeah. the elephants in the room here. And that's the fact that we record this podcast on the 20th of July, 2021. So um, almost all COVID restrictions have gone, of course, in England as of yesterday. Um, but... I think it's fair to say that we're certainly not back to a normal as of yet and the impact on industry across all sectors has been huge, hasn't it? Um, for yourselves, of course, working within care, working on the front line, just how has this pandemic affected you from last March all the way up to now?
1: It's certainly been a huge challenge to our sector um, and to the home and to me personally as well obviously in a in a leadership role I have a staff body of around 110 most of the times right across care and all the other support that we need for people who make their home here at Grove Court and you know leading in a time of uncertainty certain you know uncertainty feels like um, you know you have to Dig deep in your toolkit to, to work out, you know, how to do that. Uh, I'm unfortunate. I've, I've worked in the home for over five and a half years, which is quite a long time for a manager in care these days. Unfortunately, um, so I've got a strong team around me that I've built, and I, I think that the sort of um, empowering management style and leadership style that I tried to champion at Grove Court really paid dividends once COVID kicked in because, you know, things were being thrown up every 10 minutes. Usually, you know, the, the sort of the families knew more about what was going on than we did when it came to government announcements. So being able to have a a team around you who you could say, look, here's the challenge, guys you know, and, and discuss different routes to meeting that challenge. Because as the leader, you don't necessarily have all the answers, particularly when it's something so new, if that makes sense. Mm.
0: It makes perfect sense, yeah. And everyone's looking up to you and expecting you to have all the answers, yes. but you've almost got to put on that brave face, haven't you?
1: Yeah, and and you, and you can't you can't do that. Sometimes you have to share your vulnerability too and say, you know, I, I know as much as you guys, but with the, with the benefit of your experience, you kind of, in the end, you you have to make the final decisions about things. But I have found it very useful having a team who feel empowered to to speak and say, Ooh, you know, I, I just yeah, I have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And I think that that is really key to good leadership is being able to. Really listen to take your ego out, to take your bias out of of things a little bit, even when you know you're going to be held responsible. Um, and 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 trust the people around you, who at the end they're doing the job, they're delivering. You know, they know they they know what's needed. Um, I guess the other thing that's been really important, particularly in, in in care homes, has been how we have stayed in touch with our families because it's an incredibly scary time for um, families, some of whom live at a distance with very elderly, very vulnerable people who they weren't allowed to see for a long time. So. Um, getting ourselves going with all of the kind of technology to enable Skype calls. We weren't really doing that before. That's been an actual positive and a real you know, learning curve that's, that's something we, we're going to keep going on, working out how we could encourage socialising within the home, within social bubbles so that, you know, if if somebody became unwell with COVID, we didn't have to kind of shut everybody back up in their rooms, which was so detrimental to older people's mental health and well-being. But for me, it was also about communication with the family. So straight away, getting on to doing a, a weekly kind of mail out and more often and being honest and open about the challenges, what I did know, what I didn't know. And just getting back this massive wave of support, I think, you know, real honesty, it goes a long way in these sorts of times.
0: It really does, doesn't it? Because I think those that have instilled that culture of trust have really sort of reaped the benefits during this yeah. time, because what you're essentially asking as a care leader is for your team to sort of put themselves in the firing line against a real yeah. unknown threat, at particularly early doors, because people were very anxious about the virus. I mean, it was really hitting sort of mental health and well being amongst care staff. And in many cases, um, we've heard stories yeah. from all over the country that they didn't have the sufficient PPE in the um, early weeks of the crisis as well. So there's more risk there so it helps in sort of getting them to sort of go to work do the jobs that they need to do and just sort of carry out those tasks diligently doesn't it
1: yeah I mean it's I I think now we're entering into this New phase where there is a, a huge amount of fatigue, as is in reported or it, across the national press and media, both in in health and social care, and and we feel it here at Grove Court undoubtedly, um, because it it feels like there's no respite, if if you like, um, uh, you know, from a business perspective, we we need to keep the home running because you know without occupants in the home it puts the homes at risk um, and so building back occupancy in the home which went down not fortunately here at Grove Court through, through huge amount of deaths COVID related but just the natural turnover and the fear of people not wanting to come into care homes which I completely understand um, but now we are Really, really being swamped by a lot of um, inquiries families realizing how isolated their loved ones have been at home, the change that they see in them, um, and older people themselves realizing they don't like being on their own all the time. We weren't designed to live like that, were we, Scott? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I completely understand what you mean. We're sort of not built to be sort of locked away, are we? We are very yes. much social creatures. No, not, um,
1: not at all. Um, so you know, things have got very busy, but we're still having to deal with the challenges of testing, staffing, one thing and another. All the things that we've heard about in 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 the press, particularly, I would say, in the last sort of four to five days, around this massive impact on all sectors. Um, and whilst I have huge sympathy for the um, hospitality sector you know it's a big part of our life here in Suffolk we're a holiday destination unlike local pubs I can't close if I'm short of staff we still have to keep on doing the day job so the relief of the change to um moving to a more sensible regime around testing for health and social care staff who've been pinged in the old pandemic um is, is a really welcome move for us. It it's not without risk, but I think managed well, mm. it's a risk that we can manage as we have all the way through this. It's being pragmatic, being honest. If I'm honest with you, I don't think the government's always been like that. But on the other hand I don't occupy a seat I have to be voted into next month or you know, next year that's yeah it's 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 in, it's been very interesting how the political aspects of managing the pandemic still affect us in health and social care massively mm.
0: and I think that pre-pandemic as well something that was promised was a root and branch review of the social yeah. care sector and I think now yeah. in many ways that does have to be forthcoming doesn't it because what yeah. we've seen is public support for the NHS and the social care sector have increased hugely during the pandemic because we've seen nurses and frontline workers being portrayed as the heroes that they are. So that's going to help ultimately, isn't it, in driving change forward. But the challenge, of course, is whether it's going to really make a difference now.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And there are there are so many challenges in our sector and, and I think, as I say, I think part of the fatigue is that the world is moving on and we I, – I mean, I can speak for myself, but I suspect I speak for a lot of people right across the NHS, private sector, everywhere – you kind of worry that all of that clapping on the doorstep gets forgotten. do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? because people rightly are getting on with their lives they're worrying about their incomes, their future prospects, but the fundamental challenges, particularly in social care, have not changed so the funding of care and the payment of people working in care and health care is still unaddressed and Myself, I feel, you know, we talked slightly earlier about honesty with families. I feel that, you know, the political aspect of, of healthcare, it's used as a football means that there is a lack of honesty with, um, with the the government of of any colour, to be honest with you, talking about what it really takes to deliver what people expect, which is that you're going to be looked after um, as you move into your old age and become vulnerable. A lot of people who, who who are trying to support their older relatives still believe that there's a kind of national care homes. Do you know what I mean? That that model, you mm. know, it's not true. All care outside of hospitals is delivered in a private sector model, whether that's um, not-for-profit like the business that I work for or or whatever, it's contracted to. Um, it's a private contractor working for a local authority. So whether it's a local authority paying for your loved care or your care—it's a private, you know—it's a private business that's delivering that, and that's not really understood. If I'm, I'm honest with you, mm. um, and I feel that that honesty and openness is still not there when it comes to the way that governments um, speak to um, speak to us as a nation and say, "Guys, it's time for you to choose." You know, are you willing to, to pay more tax for it to be ring fenced? All of those sorts of things. It's challenging, you know, um, from a political perspective, I completely get that. But I very strongly feel that it's the the big conversation that needs to be had.
0: Yeah. And it's probably the big conversation that people aren't having at the moment, isn't it? And yeah. um, I think it, it's shown this crisis that it needs to be had. There was a real lack of understanding of how the social care sector works. Yeah. People assumed it yeah. was socialised. Um, but yeah. one lingering challenge that the sector is facing as well, which probably has been exacerbated over the last uh, few months, is the recruitment shortfall within the care sector. Um, mm. Because it's not just the pandemic. I mean, even though public perception toward the social care sector has perhaps improved due to people viewing care workers as heroes, that doesn't necessarily mean that more people are going to be inclined to actually work in the industry. Yeah, Because obviously there is the issue with uh, pay perhaps not being as good as it should be. There is also the fact that you're putting yourself in immediate and present danger with the COVID pandemic still being rife. And then thirdly, there's the b word isn't there there's Brexit as well um so yes. that is another thing that's come into full force at the beginning of this year and that that's also sort of something that the social care sector is feeling the pinch of so it's almost like a double or a triple pronged challenge yeah. slash threat isn't it
1: yeah I, yeah absolutely i think it's i think part of the issue in a way is is the fact that social care as opposed to health care is something that people, a bit like um, end-of-life care, used to be a little while ago, people now are more willing to talk about getting a terminal diagnosis, cancer care, end-of-life care. There's a feeling more, funnily enough, social care, much less so. Um, You know, what about if I am not able to care for myself and my family live at a huge distance? It's not something we plan for. It's not something we talk about as a nation. And, and, And I don 't i don 't think any of us should expect um, the government to have the answer it, uh, My feeling is is that like i said it 's a conversation that needs to be had about how do you take ownership of this yourself? You know, you, the Great British Public, in other words, understand that this is something, if we're living longer, which we are, for some of us that means living longer, but not as well as we'd like to in many ways. And how would you plan for that? I mean, one thing I know people might find slightly controversial, but... Um, I, I feel that the idea of ring-fencing people's property so it can be handed on to their children, I, I feel it's a bit pie in the sky. Um, I see... I may be quite sanguine about this, but I, I do see property as people's major assets. It's the way that we as a nation have gone over the last probably 30, 40 years that you know property has been seen as a huge investment and people have made absolutely massive gains. I understand that older people want to pass things on to their family, in inverted commas, but the reality of that is those assets are sitting there and to an extent, I see nothing wrong with those assets being used to support people to live a dignified and and good, um, you know, a good good life in in even if they need a significant amount of care, you know, including going into a care home. The thing is, I know it's not a very popular thing to say, but I don't know what you think.
0: <laughs> no, like I say, it is a solution, and it does need to be talked about, doesn't it? It might not be yes. the most favourable in some circles, naturally, yes. but. I think during the pandemic, we have become far more aware of our own mortality and the fact that we're not infallible and we do need to be having these conversations. And if we use this opportunity properly, we can use it as a chance to sort of address these issues and really talk about this.
1: Exactly. I mean, I always feel if I get anything from my parents when they pass away, touch wood, I hope that isn't for a while, although they are getting on uh, uh, very much so now. I see that as a total bonus, not my right that I should, should have, you know, their house, their property and their assets. Um, and, and that, that mindset I feel needs to be challenged a little bit in that you know people work hard all of their lives and they deserve dignity um at towards the end of their life and if that means freeing up assets in order for them to do that i think you know sometimes it's very uncomfortable the attitudes of families around you know it's not fair and you think how how does that stack up you know it, it it they're almost like pensions, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? The property mm. side of things, that massive asset holding that people do.
0: It is, exactly. And it is changing times. And I think sort of the old ways do need to be challenged and yes. maybe even changed in what is an altering world that we're seeing at the moment. The post COVID yes. reality is not going to be as it was before. And. No even though we may not be decisively entering that period yet. We have entered a period of time where COVID restrictions have all but been lifted in England. Mm. Um, But of course, people are going to be voluntarily sticking by some of the regulations just for their own safety and peace of mind.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah. And and that's the case for us here in care homes. I mean, mm. we always follow behind whatever the national sort of picture is and, and rightly so. We 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 generally are, are are supporting the most vulnerable people in our society aside from those who are and you know, who are, are immunosuppressed with other illnesses living in the community. And I, I want to recognise them because I feel this is a very anxiety provoking time for those people. But for our residents, um You know, we're still wearing face masks, for instance. Now, I get the reasoning why, but it's not a popular thing in care. Number one, it, 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 we all know how it impedes you know, good communication with, with older people, um, many of whom have difficulties with hearing, many of whom have difficulties with comprehension, communication. So losing the visual cues is challenging for them. But to be fair, it's not very nice. I, I mean, you know, I was out with my daughter the other day and we were with, in somewhere for quite a long time wearing a mask, Ikea of all places, and, and she said to me, I don't know how you do this every day i said i've kind of got used to it but every every now and again i just think oh god i'm sick of it do you know what i mean it's weird isn't
0: it it is and i think you're very very right you raise a great point that people may look at sort of mask wearing and assume oh, it's something that could stay long term it's a nice little sort yeah. of safety feature but like when you're working with a certain demographic mm. um it can sort of cut out the social cues that are so so <laughs> important and it can also fuel oh. anxiety for them as well
1: yeah, it's a huge barrier to to sort of good communication and and it's a it, I mean, my, my staff are absolutely brilliant and I, and I want to recognise the staff of Growth Court while I've got the opportunity. They've been absolutely brilliant throughout. Through the tough times and celebrating the, the wins that we've had, they, they have been absolutely brilliant. But I know it, it's a pain for them. You know, they, they it's like, oh, you know, especially on a hot day like today, you can imagine delivering care, wearing plastic aprons, which they would do anyway, but with a face mark on, on as well. It's not great and when you talk about attracting people into our industry these are things that feel quite off-putting to people you know in a a small Mm -hmm. subtle ways they're they're off-putting and they're just another burden in what is a challenging job you know very rewarding but but challenging.
0: It is certainly and I think what few positives we can take from the pandemic um, are the fact that it's brought us all sort of closer together, even though in a lot of cases we've had to work from afar, either two metres apart or in different buildings working remotely. Hmm. um, We have... Fostered some incredible connections and we've innovated we've adapted at an unprecedented scale so I think Mm. those closer relationships between our colleagues and our business leaders are something good that has come out of this pandemic but is there anything else that you maybe have taken away from this that you've maybe sort of learnt in your position because even in the many years you've been in nursing you've been in care I can imagine you've never (laughs) faced something quite like this before
1: um Takeaways. (laughs) Takeaways. <laughs> um, you you never know how strong you are till you're tested, and to have faith in in your your ability as a leader if you've laid the foundations right and and it is worth getting it right and so when you're going through those tough times when you're kind of managing people up or out for example you know Mm -hmm. have faith that you are doing the right thing because then you know having that like I said right at the start having that cohesive team who can be open with each other, who can be honest can other, uh, with each other, who can challenge in a in a good way without it being painful uh, to, to other people or, or stepping on egos, the advantages of that are absolutely massive to, certainly to my business, but I would imagine, you know, it's been the, the sort of forging ground for every single business, whether that's, you know, Whatever, you know, I can't imagine how it must have been for places where they've had, you know, not even seen their workforce for six months or nine months or whatever. Very, very difficult. So, I think, you know, having faith in the good principles of of leadership, of empowering management styles is, for me, it's been great. The other takeaway that I think has been quite useful for us at Grove Court um, is reflecting on the fact that actually smaller social groups work better, Um, the idea of the social bubble felt quite constraining for us we, we live in a, we, we live in a home where people were very much encouraged to kind of form their own social groups and whatever, and we had to kind of create those to an extent, which was quite an interesting process as you can imagine, but do you know what it paid off absolutely massively and it made me reflect on the fact that actually we're not designed to function in large groups. It very much affects interaction and who steps forward and what have you. Mm-hmm. So by having residents in small groups of fives and sixes for dining and for social interaction on a timetabled way actually meant that some people who were not particularly sociable before are now more inclined to join their social group and That's been a really interesting experience for us. And so even though we're not strictly social bubbling for infection control purposes, we've kept the bubbles because people kind of feel like it's their little family. Does that make sense?
0: It certainly does. And like I say, it's a change that's come about as a result of the pandemic, something that you've tried and something that's worked. It's and, really, it's yeah. been
1: a very, very positive change. Anybody who's worked in a care home, the politics of dining rooms are fought with difficulty and we've actually eliminated a lot of that by not having a great big dining room with people being funny about who they sit with and everything. It's been quite an interesting experience.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, certainly, Helen. And um, just before we do wrap up on today's show, just sure. because I'm conscious we're starting to run short of time. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about the future because um, we've sort yeah. of touched on the fact that we're entering a little bit of an uncertain period with how we're going to go with the lifting of restrictions and whether or not they may come back in future. Um, but in an ideal world, um, what are you hoping for Grove Court over the next sort of 12 months? And where do you see yourselves this time in 2022? Yeah.
1: I, uh, we have had more change in our staffing that we, than we've had during my tenure here. It's something I've always been able to, to, to you know, is that kind of um, minimising staff turnover and that that's changing. So for me, um, I'm hoping that we start to see people um, feel more able to settle and, you know, feeling engaged with the home and realize that things are going to improve so the small freedoms make a, a big difference um you know for for this home um i think that um we we would love to get back to doing some of our bigger social stuff. I mean, we do kind of fêtes and barbecues and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, on a social level, that would be really great. Being more engaged with our community, which has been difficult. We've kept some of it going, but it's been difficult. So that freedom will feel good. Um Certainly, I think if we can see a change in terms of our costs, at the moment we, in care, we are bearing higher than ever costs. And that's not just related to the things you could imagine, like PPE and testing all comes with its, with a cost to us. Usually it's around staffing costs. But at the moment, food costs are very high. So meeting our bottom line in care is challenging. And for, you know, for a well-functioning care sector, if we continue down this private sector model, which I would imagine we will be doing over the next five to 10 years unless something dramatic happens, you know, people need to understand you need to be able to operate at, you know and meet your bottom line. Otherwise, you will never get the investment you need into the sector. So that, for me, would be a a big thing, is is recognising you can't deliver quality care um, you know, for peanuts, you can't, you cannot do it. And we seem to be stuck in that cycle. So if we finally get the, the grand plan, I don't know, I'm not I'm not holding my breath. But you know, it would be lovely to see that some of this stuff is is looked at with real seriousness. Mm. And then we're not going to be ping ponged by incoming governments of another colour or of another persuasion that it's a plan that everybody cross party can sign up to that then isn't, isn't changed, you know, two years down the line, six months down the line. And that goes for health as well.
0: I think that's very right. It's such an important period for health and for social care. So it is something to certainly keep an eye on over the course of the coming months. And I think as we sort of see the mist clearing and we understand more what direction the sector is going in, I'd actually love, Helen, to welcome you back onto the show with us and just catch up as to what is going on at that point in time, because I think we've had a fantastic discussion on the podcast today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's been really eye-opening as well, uh, both for myself and I'm sure for the listeners who are tuning
1: (laughs) in. The the, the takeaway message is it's not grim and care. It's great. I have a I have a despite everything. I love my job as you can probably tell, mm-hmm. and what a privilege to look after some of the most interesting people you could ever meet. And I have a fairly good wine budget, Scott. So you know, it's not all glum. We have a mm-hmm. bar. You know, life is life, and we try to we 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 try to live it despite everything.
0: Exactly. And I'm sure just working with the people that you do, it's inspiring as well more than anything else, isn't it? It makes you want to get up and go in every day. Fantastic. Um, Helen, thank you so, so much again for joining us on the programme today. And lastly, just before we wrap up, please do take care and stay safe with all that's still going on. Thank you.
1: And the same goes for you and anybody listening to the podcast. Cheers.
0: Exactly right. Um, Do please continue, listeners, to look after yourselves and be considerate of others, because it really does make such a key difference in saving lives during this time, even with the lifting of restrictions. It was a pleasure to welcome Helen Jones, General Manager of Grove Court, onto today's programme and I do hope that all of you thoroughly enjoyed a compelling interview about what has been going on in the social care sector during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here on the Leaders' Council podcast, we do like to bring forward a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership, and therefore we'll be joined next on the show by Leaders' Council Chairman and former Education Secretary, Lord Blunkett. Uh, He'll be coming on to share his views on the COVID-19 situation and his hopes for the weeks and the months ahead as we look to reopen the economy with the lifting of social restrictions. That will be coming up next.
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome.
3: I think that with some hiccups and mistakes they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances.
2: And you're absolutely right in a in a liberal uh democracy that we live in. It's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um
3: well the the UK and um and the US and to some extent to uh, the Scandinavian countries